Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are moving and we know it. God, we've seen the evidence of your heart and, and your spirit moving here among us. God, as we, we take the next season a few minutes and we focus upon who you are and what your word is revealing to us, we ask, oh Father, open our eyes by your spirit, awaken us and give us, Lord, what we need to know you more and to make you known. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are different forms of discipline that you probably are aware of. Uh, if you were a child growing up in, uh, in your house, you had different ways in which when you did something wrong, uh, something happened to you. Uh, some of you might have met the leather man. You know what I'm talking about if you've met the leather man. I'm not talking about a knife. I'm talking about that big leather belt that your dad might have had on your rear. Wayne tells me a whole lot about the leather man. He's not here today, so I can't pick on him. Some of you have met, may have met uh, Mr. Spanky, and that is the spanking spoon, right? You take some discipline from the spanking spoon. Others uh, take a different approach and do not use uh, any sort of corporal punishment. And uh, much of what they do is uh, called a, a what? A, a timeout. It's where you're separated and sent to a place of uh, solitary confinement almost. Um, you're taken away and you're separated. You have to be alone. And I can tell you for certain children of mine, that is perfect. They're like, I'm going to start acting up so I can go be alone because uh, this house is crazy. Right? Uh, for my wife, that would be perfect for her, I think. Uh, being alone. I am a type of person that, uh, that I, I never wanted to be alone when I was uh, growing up. Uh, I always wanted a friend over uh, or to be on the phone or to be something with somebody. The great punishment that for me was that being alone. The Bible oftentimes communicates to us about hell uh, as a place in outer what? In outer darkness. It is a separation. It is solitary confinement. It is a place where you are utterly alone and it is utterly dark. It is a place where life does not exist and where there is no life of the sun to warm us or keep us, uh, keep us comfortable. It is a place of, of exile. This morning, we're going to talk about the theme of exile and, 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 and Babylon and what that means. I want you to take that picture of, of exile, of that separation, and, and let it guide our thoughts through what we study in the Word throughout the Scripture today. Because part of what God has for us is teaching us through the discipline of exile what it means to have a right relationship with him. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you to open up to Genesis chapter 11. Uh, I know we finished Jeremiah this week. We will get there and to that theme of, of Jeremiah and, and what's going on here. But we're going to start off in Genesis this morning. You already heard Miss Kitty read from Psalm 137 by the shores of Babylon. We will talk about that. 
Uh, if you're new to us today, we're glad that you're here. We're thankful you're here. Uh, we're thankful for people in SP's family who are here. Glad to have you. I uh, hope you feel welcome today. We've been walking through the Bible together, and we started in Genesis, uh, which, which, and we have a picture that I'll show you. Our theme of, of walking through the Bible is that God has set up a, a movement in the Bible, and it is a repetitive movement in many parts uh, in the fall redemption in those two middle phases. But God created the world. He created it for something. He had a reason to make this world and everything in it. Well, he did that, and mankind took it upon themselves to, to, to be with God, to, to be obedient to him until Genesis chapter 3, in which they ate of the fruit of the tree, and they chose to be their own God and make their own rules and make their own decisions. They chose for their will to be, uh, be higher than God's will. And, and that is chapter 3, which we see the fall. But God did not leave them alone. God said there is a plan, and I've had this plan executed since before the foundation of the world. And that is that my son will redeem those who have fallen. And we see the beginnings of that and the promise of that in Genesis 3.15 when he promises that one would come and crush the head of the serpent. And we see, we've seen this movement over and over, we've seen it through, uh, through Joshua, Judges, we've seen it through Moses' life, we've seen it through the prophets, and this is what we've concluded this, uh, this section of reading uh, for this year, is that it is time for Babylon to come and to bring her destruction upon the people of Israel. And as Babylon comes, they bring not only with them destruction, but they bring a lesson, and that is a discipline from God. And it comes through a nation, as I've mentioned, Babylon. But Babylon doesn't just start in Jeremiah. Babylon starts way back in Genesis. And I want you to, I'm going to read this story to you from Genesis 11. If you want to remember where the story of the Tower of Babel is, Genesis 1.1, and that makes a tower that leads to heaven. All right, Genesis 1 1, the tower leads to heaven. Let me read it to you. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as many people migrated from the east, they came to the plains of the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, or cook them. And so they had bricks for stone, bitumen for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. And a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for who? For ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are only one people, and they have all one language, and this and there is nothing impossible. And I'm sorry. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so they, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left, uh, and they left build off building the city. 
Therefore, hear this, therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord did what? Help me out, church. What did he do? He confused their language. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. And there you go. How did the Chinese get to China and the Native American get to the Americas? God did it. He dispersed them. Now, let me ask you, why did he call it Babel? He called the the name of the, the place, what? Babel. Why? Because the Lord confused their language there. Now, do you know? I'll give you a guess. Do you know what the word in Hebrew, Babel, means? It's right there in the verse. I'll give you one good guess. What does it mean? Confuse. The word Babel means confuse. And so the theme of Babylon that we're reading about in Jeremiah, Isaiah, we'll start at uh, Ezekiel this week. What we're reading about comes from the word confusion. Now this is important because when we, when we read that there's a nation called confusion coming in, to, to take over Israel, there's a meaning behind that. God sent the confusion to bring Israel out of the land of promise into the land of confusion. If you don't know much about Babylon, it was, it was of course, the nation there who, who was not the greatest superpower in the world until they were. And, and they became more powerful even than the Assyrian Empire that had destroyed that northern portion of Israel. And then they were mighty enough to take Jerusalem and then the Assyrian army and become the most powerful nation in the world. And there are leaders that you probably know about. Hammurabi, who, who had the, the laws. Uh, you, you probably know about him. I know, Kitty, you read it a good bit. They had the Hanging Gardens, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. This was a a massive operation. But their name literally meant confusion. Now think about the implications here. God's people have abandoned His ways. And we've listened to Jeremiah for 52 or 51, this point, chapters, tell us how they have abandoned God and gone to their own ways. Now let me bring you back to the Garden of Eden. We alluded to that. What happened in the garden that that caused the people of God, Adam, Eve, to be brought out of the garden? I talked about it earlier. What did they do? They chose their own will over God's will. What happened to cause the people of Israel to be drawn out of their land into the land of confusion? They chose their will over God's will. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw this parallel to the fact that God is drawing people out of a place of peace, rest, and goodness into a place of confusion as an act of his discipline. Babylon in Genesis 11 was a place where where God had people ordered together and their languages were at one. They were at a place of peace and harmony, but they began to use that to do their own will over God's will. God drew them out and he scattered them, it says, all over the earth. Babel is confusion. 
Now, let me draw a, a, a quick line for us today before we jump into more scripture. And that is this. The decision SP has made is to say, I have lived in this land of confusion for far too long. I have lived in a place where there's a God for this and a God for that and a pleasure for this and a pleasure for that. Where there are so many things coming around me teaching me this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. But SP has said, I have come to the place where I read what Jesus said. And Jesus said, what? Help me out, church. I am the way. I am the way. And he's come to a place like many of you in this room have come to. Where you say, the confusion is no longer. I now have an understanding of what the way is. And the way is Jesus. And he has communicated that to us. But, but here's the thing that we have to figure out each and every day, Christian. You and me have to figure out is, I hear lots of confusion going on around me. Am I going to listen to it? Put yourself back in the garden, will you? God comes and he speaks to them in the cool of the day, Bible says. All they had to listen to was God. Until confusion showed up in the form of serpent. Think of put yourself back in Babel. What do you do? Hey, let's build a tower into the heavens so, so we won't be dispersed. What do you do? Put yourself today. What are the confusing words that God or that the gods of this world are communicating to you? Do you listen? Or have you found the way? Let's jump back into the scripture. Second Chronicles, if you have it, Second Chronicles 36. Confusion. Why confusion? Why this spiritual time out? Well, we're going to read 2 Chronicles 36, verse 17 begins this way. Therefore, he brought them up. He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, interchangeable here, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. They had no compassion on young men or virgin or man, old man or aged. He gave them into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, all the treasures of the house of the Lord, and all the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to the land of confusion. And they burned the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem. And they burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile he took into exile in Babylon, in the land of confusion, those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the king of Persia. Everything went to the land of confusion. Why? Let me ask you a question. While they were in the promised land, while the people of Israel were in the promised land, 
Were they confused? Were they confused? Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Were they listening to the gods of this age, the gods of their age, or were they listening to Yahweh, the Most High? And the whole reason they were, were drawn out of that was because they were confused. So, so in my mind, here's what's going on here. God is taking the confused and moving them to the land of confusion in order that he might build again a holy temple in which they will return. And through Jeremiah, we see, we saw last week and looked at, they're coming back. They're coming back. If you're here this morning... I have to ask you a personal question. Where are you? You're in church this morning. Praise God. Glad that you're here. Where one message of Jesus saves sinners that repent. That's the message we preach here. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. And he saves any sinner who, like SP, puts their faith in him. You're in the place of God's order, but are you, are you swimming in confusion? Are you spiritually in a place where you haven't said, I, I, I repent, I want to be in the kingdom of God. Have you, have you not reached that point? Let me, let me give you the solution. God is a God who brings order to that confusion. And if you need order today, if you are lost or swimming in the land of confusion, Jesus Christ can save your soul. Jesus Christ can save your soul. It's what happened in 2 Kings 17. Look what he says specifically. Y'all still with me this morning? He says this. Why did all this happen? Why did he draw the confused and place them in the land of confusion? Why? This occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And he walked, I'm sorry, and walked in the customs of the nations, the gods, the nations of whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built themselves high places of worship to false gods in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They built for themselves pillars and ashram, which are pagan, godless places to worship on every high hill and every green tree. We think there's a God, but, but, but there's other God too, and... And all these guys like this God and these guys like that God. And so let's just put them all in a pot and we can have all the gods. You know, in South Louisiana, what do we call that when you put everything in one pot, stir it up, serve it? Yeah, we call that gumbo. They, they had God gumbo. And God says, I don't deserve to be in a gumbo. Do you put your filet in gumbo? No. Your filet is that main dish that's, that's on that plate ready for you. God says, I don't go in gumbo. I am God alone. I am the one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is the one true God. 
the confused. I asked our, our ladies this week, our Wednesday morning ladies. I love my Wednesday morning ladies. Great group. I asked them this, that morning, this Wednesday morning. I said, what, what is the world? When the Bible talks about the world, what is the world? What is that? Like, is it what we stomp on here? Is it, is it dirt? What is, what's the world? When the Bible says, do not love the world or the things of the world, what is that? We talked about a few things. I gave what, what my definition is. And I, I have, this is my personal definition, so you can take it or leave it. But as I read the Bible, I see the world as this. Anything that's opposed to God. Anything that's opposed to God. And I'm going to give you some scripture to, to tell you why that's the definition that I like. What is the world? Anything that's opposed to God. So inanimate things. Speakers. This, this is not opposed to God. God can use a speaker. In fact, he is this morning. Y'all can hear me, right? He's using us. But there are spirits. There are, there are, are powers there are things working today, tomorrow, yesterday, and throughout our lives that are pressing us away from who God is. We see it in Acts 13 when, when Elimas comes and he's trying to convince the proconsul not to follow Jesus. And Paul curses him, casts him into blindness. And darkness, but he's saying, "No, proconsul, I, I work for you. You can't believe this guy. This guy's full of things that aren't true." And Paul says, "You are full of untruth." What is the world? It's it's anything opposed to God, and, and specifically opposed to God's revelation of Himself in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few verses. First John chapter two. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, hear this, is not from the Father, but is what? So you see a distinction now. It's either of the Father or of what? So anything that's not of God is, is from the world. Now what we'll find out is that, that that it's not just separate and equal or, or just things that are separated and, and exist, coexist together. But what we'll see is that these are two kingdoms. And what the Bible tells us is these two kingdoms now are battling against one another. And it's not that, that they're friendly. So if you have two kingdoms battling against each other, SB, you like sports, Right? You know that if you're playing basketball against Nate, who's going to win that, by the way? If you're playing basketball against Nate, you are opposed to him, and you want to block his shot, right? Any, when, when two battles, when two forces are battling, that's the world, and that's God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of the world. Let me, let me give you another one. James 4.4. 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that. Hear this. 
Friendship with the world is what? Enmity or being an enemy with God. Does the analogy work? We've got two factions. They're against each other. Friendship with the world. If you're on team B, you're not on team A. Teenagers, y'all get that, right? Last night, all the games we play, when your team's playing ultimate ball and you want to win, and you're blocking the shots of the other team, y'all get this. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. One more real quick. You see it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. These are the building blocks, the teachings, the the systems of this world. The the Greek word there is stoikion, but it means the things that build up the thinking and ideologies of the world. Why then... As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Why are you fighting for that team? What does all this mean? What are we getting to? This is it. If you are in Christ, you have died to the system of the world. Let me say it a different way. If you are in Christ, you have died to Babylon. And what Babylon is doing throughout the rest of Scripture is it has come to represent what the world system is. And if we see Babylon in Genesis 11, if we see Babylon throughout the book of Jeremiah, as we're going to see it in Ezekiel, as we see it in Revelation, as we see it throughout the New Testament, uh, Peter mentions it. You are going to understand that what Babylon is, is it's the system of the world and all of its teachings of confusion seeking to confuse you and me against what the one against who the one true God is. Are y'all with me this morning? There is a system that is seeking to confuse you. Let me give you the way that the book of Revelation says it. In Revelation 17 5 and on her forehead now this is a, a picture of of the the rebellion against God and his goodness. On the forehead, remember the priest from back in Aaron when he was the high priest, they put a a thing on his forehead to to note him as the the high priest. Does anybody remember what it said? What did it say? Holy to the Lord. There you go. Now we have this false priest arising, this image of a false priest Rising up in Revelation. And it doesn't say holy to the Lord. But what does it say? On its forehead. Babylon the great. Mother of prostitutes. And all of earth's abominations. There is a kingdom that is holy to the Lord. There is a kingdom that is an abomination to God. Full of all its prostitution. And worldliness. This is what we're seeing. Let me give you another one. How about Jesus? Y'all like Jesus, right? Y'all know what Jesus said? Jesus said it this way. My kingdom, y'all know this one. My kingdom is not of this what? This world. And what did we define world as? The things that are opposed to God. My kingdom is not of this world. And remember the context. Where is Jesus when he says this? He's right before Pilate. And the entire system that's got him on a a fake trial 
in order to crucify. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king for this purpose. I was born for this purpose. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. My kingdom has a truth that I need to share. And for this reason, I have come to do that, to save sinners that will repent. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. All right. What does all this have to do with us? What does all this have to do with us? Christian, you need to know you live in a state of Babylon. You live in a world of Babylon. You live in Babylon. This is the world we live in. Do you feel it? Let me read you from a song that we've sang in this church. Such a good song. Melinda, one of our cantatas had this song in it. Let me read you. Just hear this. This poetic uh, imagery. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And in the chorus of the song, you'll probably know it. Is there anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? To bring about the next kingdom, the eternal kingdom? Is anyone able to bring about that last phase of our image that we look at every week? The kingdom. Can anybody do it? And the song says what next, Belinda? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root. The Lamb who died to ransom the grave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? Help me out, church. He is. He is. He is is worthy. In the book of Peter, what did I tell you? I said, you live in Babylon. When Peter wrote to to his his epistle, he said this, you are elect exiles. He calls them exiles. He's playing on what happened in Babylon. And what we see happening from Jeremiah. They were exiles brought out into a land of confusion. They were brought out of the land of promise into a land of confusion. He says, hey, I'm writing to a bunch of exiles. You are exiles. He he says it again in chapter 2. He says, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles. Christian, you are an exile." You are in the land of confusion. Miss Kitty read Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and we wept as we remembered. What a great picture that is. Those exiles brought from their homeland hundreds of miles away to a place to sit by the waters and weep because they missed 
their home. I want to be brought back to where the confusion is gone. I want to be brought back to where I don't live in a place where, where things don't make sense. Where, where this person says that and that person says this. I want, I want to lose the fog. So what do we do? What do you and I do living in the land of confusion? What do we do? Now we get to Jeremiah. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Now we get back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. Y'all know this. Y'all probably got a t-shirt with it on it. Jeremiah 29, 11. We're not going to read that one. We're going to read a little bit earlier in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah's advice is when they come, when they forklift you and bring you over and plop you in the land of confusion. Here's what I want you to do. This is the message from God. What is it? Y'all know? What does he say? Jeremiah 29 verse 4. With me, Panda? Check it out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to the land of confusion. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons, have daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into what? Come on, church, I'm out into what? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, now this is not a direct command to us today. I want to make that very clear. This was God's command specifically for the exiles as they left. However, in a good hermeneutic way, I do believe there's a principle that we need to look at here. And that principle is this. We live in the land of confusion. We live in a land and, and the scripture calls the readers in the New Testament under the New Covenant he calls them exiles. And I think there is a, a, a sense in which we live in a land where, where we feel that we don't belong. And if SP had listened to everything everybody around him was saying, he wouldn't have ended up where he is today. And, he's, and I know you've probably got some sense, SP, that man, this world around me, there are things that don't make sense. I'm in a land where I, I don't really belong. I want to do something different. And, and so I'm going to give a principle that I think is helpful. As we live in the land of confusion, as we are exiles, I want to encourage us to, to listen to this advice and say, all right, let's live not as confused people in a confused world, but as God's people in a confused world. Let me say that again in case you didn't hear it. If you're sleepy, wake up. 
I believe God desires us to live not as confused people in a confused world, but as God's people in a confused world. And what do God's people do? God's people love God and they love their neighbor. I sent out a text this week to the church. If you didn't get, if you're not on the text list, y'all come find me. Come find Pastor Stephen. Get on our text list. We had opportunity. One of our new church members, emergency surgery, lives alone, widow, no one to take care of her, per se. Anybody cook food for her? Amy sent out a, a thing for us and it's filled up. Or close to it, last I heard. That's living as God's people in a confused world. Teenagers were filling this campus this weekend, running around. Y'all know, did y'all know that teenagers are hungry little souls? Did y'all know that? Where's Miss Fleetham? Serving somewhere else. She was here all weekend serving these young people. Lynette, Mary gave their lives to serve and feed all these happy mouths. Linda and Steve giving a house, serving them. I want to tell you one other story. Before I do, living as God's people in a confused world. I'm going to take care of these people because they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing the scripture truth and I want them to grow because I want to pour into the kingdom. And this is next generation kingdom. Y'all look at me. You are the next generation of the kingdom of God. Ten years ago, Tyler was in the group. And you know who preached last night? It was Tyler. Our young adults were leading in music. The next generation. Feeding the generation coming up behind them. It's beautiful. God's people in a confused world. Let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. One of our young men. You know, people love sports. People love hobbies. People love hunting, fishing. Whatever it may be, whatever you love. Sometimes the temptation is to give a priority to those things that they don't deserve. Isn't it? We had a young man who, who plays football and had a game yesterday and told his coach, I have a discipleship weekend that's really important to me. And I'm going to go to my discipleship weekend. I'm not going to be able to make the game. High school football. Living with conviction in the land of confusion. Guys, I don't know if y'all get encouraged by, by decisions like that. How a 14-year-old can encourage... A 40-something-year-old, 47-year-old. Now that blew me away. That's a man living as God's man when the world around him says, well, sports are most important. We have fall outreach coming up, church. We will have hundreds of kids on this campus on October 29th. Hundreds. Families, moms, dads, nannies, cousins, grandmas, grandpas. 
will be on our campus. You have an opportunity to come and pick up bean bags that they miss and hand it back to them and say, try again. To pick up balls that get thrown on the floor in here. To, to fill up balloons with shaving cream so they can pop them and go, oh! Right, Eric? You have an opportunity. I'm asking you, sign up for fall outreach. Be a part of this. Let's live as, as God's people in God's world. I've got to wrap this up, y'all. I'm asking if you do not know Jesus Christ and you are swimming in the land of confusion, Jesus Christ saves sinners that repent. Come to him. He conquered death by his resurrection. He can conquer your confusion. Christian, I'm asking you, if you, you are living in the land of confusion, I'm asking you day by day, week by week, hour by hour, to live as God's people in the land of confusion. Babylon is calling, but you are elect exiles. Let's live that way. Let's pray. Father, you, you have demonstrated your love to, for, for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We rejoice. God, we praise the name of Jesus this morning. Father, I pray that you draw people, that you stir people's hearts, that they recognize you moving in their heart and say, I need to be saved from my sin. God, we ask that you place us as people of God in the land of confusion, doing what you have called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.